Today's episode of the Theater People podcast is brought to you by TodayTix, the app for last-minute theater tickets. Download the app in Google Play or the App Store and use the code THEATERPEOPLE at checkout to save 20 bucks on your first purchase. That code, of course, is theater with an E-R-P-P-L. From Hey, theater people, Patrick here. So two live summer series shows down and two to go. We'll have pictures and videos from yesterday's show up very soon, so stay tuned. Our next live summer series show is happening on Sunday, July 17th, and features the incredible Eden Espinosa. The tickets are just $10. Eden, of course, was the original Elphaba standby in Wicked. She eventually took over the role, becoming Broadway's third full-time Elphaba. She went on to star in the musical Brooklyn, which was basically written for her insanely incredible voice. If you haven't heard the song Once Upon a Time, go to YouTube right now and check it out. She was also Maureen in the closing Broadway company of Rent. And just recently, she starred in the world premiere of Rain, the new musical by Michael John Lacusa. She's also an award-winning recording artist, you guys. The song you're listening to right now, Stone Cold Sober, which, by the way, I've been obsessed with since the minute it dropped, won the 2014 Independent Music Awards Song of the Year. I am obsessed with Eden. She's so smart and fun and talented. She has amazing stories. It's going to be an incredible live show. So please join us Sunday, July 17th. Tickets are available at our website, which is www.theaterpeople.com. That's theater with an E-R-P-P-L dot com. And click on the Summer Series tab. Okay, now to the show. Yeah, I'm Lin-Manuel Miranda. I'm Celia Keenan-Bolter. This is Queen Leslie. I'm Robin DeJesus. I'm Aaron Davey. Hi, this is Ellen Marie Marsh. I'm LaShawn. I'm Telly Leung. Hi, I'm Eden Espinosa. I'm Laura Osnes. I'm Katie Finnerin. Hi, I'm Tanya Pinkins. I'm Karen Olivo, and you are listening to the Theatre People Podcast. Welcome to the Theatre People Podcast. I'm Patrick Hines, your host. You guys, I still can't believe that today's guest, the divine Tony Award winner Alice Ripley, agreed to sit down with me for an interview. I can't even begin to tell you how nervous I was. You'll totally be able to hear it in this interview. I was shaky and I stammered. I was a total idiot. Alice, on the other hand, was a total dream. She was kind and she was patient with me and she even suggested that we stand up and shake it out when she could tell that I was just about to burst from nerves. We met in her dressing room to talk about her amazing career. We, of course, started with American Psycho, which I was completely obsessed with and in which she was performing at the time. I was fascinated that this powerhouse Tony winner, an actor that composers literally write shows for, was performing what was essentially an ensemble track in American Psycho. So we talk about that quite a bit. It should be noted that this interview was done just after the Tony nominations were announced. American Psycho received only two and was completely overlooked in what are considered to be the major categories. Anyway, for the uninitiated, Alice Ripley made her Broadway debut in the 1993 production of The Who's Tommy, and then went on to star in Les Mis and Sunset Boulevard. Her big break came in 1997 when she was cast alongside Emily Skinner in the musical Sideshow. That show was short-lived but much loved, and the two received a joint Tony nomination for Best Leading Actress in a Musical. From there, she originated roles in James Joyce's The Dead and the Broadway revival of The Rocky Horror Show. 
In 2009, Alice was cast in her second role of a lifetime as Diana in the Yorkie and Kit rock musical Next to Normal. Performing the role off-Broadway, then in Washington, D.C., then on-Broadway, and finally on the show's national tour, Alice was with the show for over three years and won a Tony Award for her work. It was such a pleasure to spend time with this incredible woman. Here's our conversation. This is such an honor, Alice Ripley, to get a chance to meet you. Thank you for being on the Theater People podcast. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, Patrick. So nice to meet you. Should we just jump right in? Sure. I'll scoot a little bit closer to you. Perfect. So we should start by me saying that I am obsessed with your show. Obsessed with it. Really? I'm so excited to hear that. <laughs> yeah, we came. I've seen it twice now. Um, and I was just talking to Jennifer outside about how, like, the, sec- um, the second time, I was, like, legitimately, like, jumping out of my skin. Like, this, I, I think this is necessary viewing. I think it is, like, essential theater. So congratulations on your amazing show. Thank you for saying that. I, it's hard to tell what it's like when you're in it. But I think if I were in the audience, I would, I would come back again. Yeah, for for sure. And it's funny, too, because American Psycho, like the property itself, I loved the book and the movie. So I was so curious to see what you guys were going to do for a musical. And it just it it just works so well. So it's just it's a beautiful show. But I'm curious about like what you knew about the show before being cast in it and why you wanted to do it. Thanks again for what you said. Um, I I I had seen the movie in the theater when it came out back in. I don't know. It was in the early 90s. Yeah. And then that prompted me to pick up the book, which I thought was, I found it really hard to read mm-hmm. in a good way mm-hmm. because it makes you stop and think about things. And so I had, I came into the musical knowing a little bit about the book, but mostly having seen the movie a bunch of times. And then I fell in love with Christian Bale. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, how did the part come to you? Did you pursue it or did they pursue you or a little bit of both? It was a regular audition where they said, Will you come in and, and be seen for this role? This track is what we call it. Yeah. We play a bunch of roles. You said something really interesting about the character. I'm going to read it so I get it right. You said, um, Mrs. Bateman is tough because there's no sex to this character. So I was wondering if you would expand on that and then maybe t- tell us a little bit about your process of getting to know her and deciding how to portray her. Well, well, if you think about Janet Weiss, she, she starts out as a virgin and then, you know, becomes a slut by the end. <laughs> right. From Rocky Horror. Yes, which is what Lee and, Lee and I were in Rocky Horror together on Broadway. Um, and then Mrs. Bateman, I feel, is the exact opposite extreme because I think she's had her hysterectomy. She's, she's Interesting. She's really kind of sexless. Yeah. And it's it's the wig. The wig just tells you what your emotional <laughs> yes. life is going to be. The wig and the lights. So the, they decided that, that that's what she was going to be. I was thinking when I got into this role, it was going to be more like Gloria Steinem. Uh huh. But no, it's it's like Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> and it's more. It's actually really fun because it's so different from me. And Mrs. Bateman is starting to take root right now. I think maybe I don't know if you've seen gradual changes over the weeks. Yeah, it's. Yeah, it was funny. It's funny because you're in so many different scenes and sometimes it's hard to like figure out who you because the wigs are so big and the costumes are so crazy. And so I remember the first time I saw you as Mrs. Bateman, it just takes a minute. I think, too, for somebody like me, a star of of your magnitude, it takes me a minute to adjust to being in the room, you know, with you as an actor on stage. So seeing it the second time, I was a little more calm and a little more, like, paying attention to it. Time kind of stands still for you, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But along those lines, I I wanted to talk a little bit about how in this role you are doing a little bit, like, more ensemble stuff. And and how – is that fun for you? 
Yes, I have a track, which is what we call it when you play several roles. What I did in Les Mis when I played Fantine, mm-hmm. she's actually in a track. Right. Sometimes when you play a principal, that's all you do is play the principal role. But in a show like this, and like Tommy, which was my first Broadway show. And my favorite show. We were like time. this army around the main guy, and then we faction off and do our solos and you know different roles, and we come back together, and we're like the Greek chorus. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of that, uh, American Psycho, because I've been playing... For instance, when I did Carrie a few years ago, I just played Mrs. White. I wasn't in the ensemble, too. Mm-hmm. I like it this way. I, don't get me wrong. I love being in the spotlight. I love having a bunch of songs I don't have to share with anybody. <laughs> That's for some other kind of show. For this show, it's really fun to be a part of the... It feels like a machine, mm-hmm. a human machine, and you make you make it work together, and everybody you need everybody. If somebody's missing, you can't do it. Mm-hmm. On and off stage, because the crew is... Really important, always, but especially in this show. What goes on backstage, the choreography backstage is more complicated than what you see on stage. Anyway, it's a different experience when you're in this kind of a track role as opposed to just a principal role. And I like it. It's a nice change from the last few things I've been doing. Yeah. And you didn't have any hesitation about being like doing something that put you in the ensemble a little bit more just professionally. That didn't that didn't concern you. No, not really. It's actually a perfect place for me, if you know me, because I'm very much um, a team player. That's where the joy comes from first. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why I got into this, because I wanted that family around me Mm -hmm. that you could all work together. It's like the show is like we all have chores that we do, all the crew and all the actors, and Uh we do them together and we make this household run. And this show happens for everybody. Of course, we need the audience. <laughs> yeah. I felt like it made sense because the last thing I did was Next to Normal, where I sang 38 or 39 songs. And, you know, I mean, the audience probably got a little sick of me there for a second. <laughs> Not possible. <laughs> I have heard that this, this show for Alice Ripley followers is like, where's Waldo for Alice yeah, Ripley? Yeah, it's true. And the second time I saw it, I saw you more. I was like, oh, she's in the club scenes and that crazy wig. I love it. Yes, and I, the, I'm the one vomiting with my butt facing yes. you my butt facing downstage I'm vomiting with my two-tone mohawk into the stainless steel toilet trying not to distract too much from the scene that's going on with Benjamin and Theo it's so interesting I, I, I thought of this question today and it might it might sound strange I'm not an actor so I don't live in the world of performers but I was wondering if when you guys were in the rehearsal process and you were working with the fellow ensemble members if they were intimidated to like do ensemble stuff with you is that a thing um, it's funny because it. You, I might notice that they're maybe really respectful, mm-hmm. and and at first it might seem like they don't like me, but then you realize, wait, they're just being really respectful of my space <laughs> more than the average person, and it's mutual. Mm-hmm. We all respect each other, but yeah, I think that when when Rupert, our director, decided to bring Svetlana, the cleaning lady, who's on for just two lines, <laughs> yeah. and I, she's the character I play the first time I'm you know have a line. Mm-hmm. He, our director decided to bring her up on a washing machine from the pit. And when he did that, that's when Helena, she's, she's so funny, she yelled out. She's like, now that's how you bring up a Tony winner. That's how a Tony winner makes an entrance. Thank you. And she's doing the gesture over her head. Helena's great. She says what everybody's thinking. I yeah. love her. She is so she great. She's with every single thing she does and says in the show. Everything. And it's, extra laughs. 
<laughs> it's funny too because I was I wanted I love the music so much, but you guys don't have a cast recording yet. So I was listening to the some of the London recording, and the woman who does it, it's so different. It's so different, you know. And she's I was curious because I know you and Jen Damiano have a relationship, obviously, but with women like Helena and other other people in the show, like do you do you have advice for them? Are you or how does that work? Are you like a like a wise one that tells them things, or are you just one of the girls? That's so cute. <laughs> um, it's true. There is there is something interesting there. I think it's the first time I've ever played the matron in the show. Some of these ladies are half my age, so it's a new experience for me to be the person that people are looking up to. Maybe because mm-hmm. I like to look up to people. That's that's where I'm most comfortable. It's at the bottom of the totem pole. Now I'm not tooting my own horn or anything. I'm just saying, age-wise, you know, and, and I've done. I've just been around so much longer, so I'm trying to play it real cool. Yeah, <laughs> and give everything to them, kind of back off. Yeah, I'm enjoying it very much, being just a cog in the community, <laughs> and and I'm not trying to downplay how great this job is. I love it, and I'm grateful. Mm-hmm. It's just I don't have to have 35 songs. Right. In every show, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. <laughs> well, I was wondering if there is, I mean, you've sort of already answered this question, but, like, not having to carry the show on your back, you know, I'm wondering if that is something that you are enjoying very much. Well, I do love, I loved my experience in a sideshow and Next to Normal, for example, where I never left the stage the whole time. That's a different kind of challenge. This is something that I... It was nothing like what I was doing then. And I I think the challenge with, with what I do in American Psycho is to make all of these characters different. Mm-hmm. Because even though I might just look like I'm just a dancer in the tunnel scene, in order for for the audience to believe that instantly, you know, like right away, hopefully you want them to, then you have to develop a whole... Like you have still have a character that you're playing, even if you don't have any lines and... Mm-hmm. Ideally, that's what you're doing because it's going to inform it. It's going to inform the ecosystem of what's going on in ways that people can't necessarily pick up on consciously, but it's there. It's the attitude. If you notice everybody in Tunnel, we're all dancing with a different attitude. Mm -hmm. And it's really because we were encouraged to be our own character in every scene. So that's the challenge for me with this is to make Mrs. Bateman different than Mrs. Wolf, Mm -hmm. to make specific choices and to, to... implement those choices as soon as I get on stage, maybe even before I get on stage, because I only have a half a page mm-hmm. to establish what this character is. And you want it to be... I like when people don't know that it's me in the tunnel scene puking in the toilet. <laughs> even afterwards, my friends, they're like, that was you? I like that. That That's a real compliment, you know. And Mrs. Bateman, I'm trying to make her every day more detailed. It's fun when the show continues to have a life like this, mm-hmm. because um, you, you can just keep playing with little things you can't change the big the big change the big things you've agreed to with everybody you know Mm -hmm. but the little things you can keep the little like mannerisms and gestures you can just keep growing through that and that's that's really fun you don't get to do that kind of you know playing all those characters and making them specific if possible when Mm -hmm. you're playing just one track one basic you know the protagonist story is you just like one character through the whole thing? You want still want there to be a change, but this is really different than that. Yeah, it's so funny. And not to not to like beat this question to death, I guess, but like we theater lovers and and gays specifically, like we love our stars and our divas, and we. Um, and I'm curious if how do I ask this question the right way? Like, 
we just want every minute of you that we can possibly have on stage. And so is it is it a thing where, um, like, uh, are people – are you finding that people are just happy to see you because we just love you so much and we're so grateful that you're back in a show and it doesn't matter? Or do you find that people are like, yeah, but – Let's give Mrs. Bateman a rousing number. Because they don't have enough Alice Ripley. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a combination of both going on right now. I I can feel that. I I can feel that the show gives me a platform to be a part of the team like I've been talking about. But it doesn't necessarily show or it doesn't show everybody what I can do. (laughs) So even in in that realm and with great gratitude, I say, you know, it's not the best even the best audition show where you can see what Alice Ripley can do. Mm-hmm. You can see a little bit of it. But I think that everybody in the company, they're, they're all so talented. I mean, everybody's so focused. They all seem like triple threats. And we, we try to keep each other, like we're, we're trying to keep each other up onto our back, you know, make each other be the best, mm-hmm. challenge each other with what we're doing on stage. And that seems to be enough for me right now but I have heard from people that I love and, and they've said it in loving ways yeah. they're like that was great but we wanted to see more of Alice Ripley yeah, exactly. why, why didn't we get to see enough of you there wasn't enough of you why didn't Mrs. Bateman have her own song yeah, I feel like we probably all felt that way in Next to Normal, too. Like, we could we could just listen to you for 10 hours. Like, it doesn't matter how much material you have, we want you to have more. Um, I was thinking about how... So I was reading about this, and I hope it's okay to talk about this, about the show, this beautiful, phenomenal show that I really think is required viewing for theater lovers, was, like, egregiously overlooked by the Tony Awards. But I was reading that, like, uh, several cast members are talking about how the morale here is just so high. Like, everyone's having a great time. Is that right? Yeah, it is. It started, it never really sagged. Yeah. We've always had this kind of high morale and a real um, confidence that what we're doing is worth doing for ourselves and for the people that keep coming back. It's really exciting to see that kind of following happening with the show. Mm -hmm. Because I remember during Sideshow, this is what we wanted. We wanted people to not wait till November, but like to come now and keep coming back. Because it does make a difference when the house is full. Yeah. It makes a difference to the life of the show. That sounds like it would be obvious, but it's not really. Sometimes the show is still full and they decide to close it for some reason. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Long term. But, yeah, the morale has been great, and I think that um, I was shocked when Benjamin was left off the nomination list for the Tonys because, I don't know, I always thought the Tonys were about, like, finding that tour de force, Mm -hmm. that role that nobody else could do in quite that same way, as opposed to a role that's been done by a lot of other people before this is this is brand new and i think benjamin is spect- he, i think he's just wonderful he, what he's he is so doing up there is just unreal so fun. i mean i could gush about him all day yeah. but i feel that way about all of our, our our stars in the show and um i mean helena and jennifer and theo and and drew he plays paul owen so but everybody fun. everybody is i think you know it's great. I'm I'm just grateful. I mean, this is it's wonderful to have this podcast be about. Isn't it great that the show is is fun for people and it's and it's you know catching on and people yeah. keep coming back and and they can't get enough of it and you know if you like seeing a gorgeous man in his underwear <laughs> you're in there. I mean, it's, it's worth the price. And of gorgeous admission. women. There's plenty of nudity beautiful. for the women as well. No, it's beautiful. And I think the number you know the, in the book. He he talks Benjamin um, Brett Easton Ellis as Benjamin. He's he's talking as not as Benjamin. He's talking as Patrick Bateman, and I think the you know it's it's in first person. 
So he's kind of taking on a characterization. This is how I see it. And back then, the people who who were in charge of deciding whether books were good or bad, they they decided it was controversial mm-hmm. because they're like, is this guy really crazy? Like, what the hell? Yeah. Because some of the chapters are, you have to put it down and walk away mm-hmm. if you have. If you have um, any kind of humanity to you, you have to put the book down, and that should tell you something about what he's trying to say. I do think he's trying to say a, make a statement, even though the end of the piece, that as Duncan wrote it, the, the last song, this is not an exit, as as Patrick's marrying Evelyn, mm-hmm. kind of like maybe as a way out, and and he's, his subconscious is at the same time simultaneously telling him this is not a way out. You still have to be a person. You still have to be human and feel. And um, the emotional life of Patrick becomes really beautiful and, and lush because of the musical in a way that I, it wasn't there oh, when I absolutely. read the book. Absolutely. And I'm not to put the book or the movie down at all because I think they're great, but it's that's what's great about the medium of a musical. I think that that there is a potential that it's going to reach, like Next to Normal did, you know, because the music tells you what the characters are feeling. Mm-hmm. And and the music has themes that connect the relationships, you know. And it, it tells you as an audience member, even the more, the more seasoned you are, the more you're going to get out of it. Something like, like a Sondheim score, you know, is packed with this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think Duncan really does that, too, in his own style, which is that pop rock style. Oh, my God. And our show has, I mean, they're all, Holly James, our, our dance captain, she's the aerobics teacher in the show. She's mm-hmm. the lady that you can't take your eyes off of. Mm-hmm. And Erica Hunter, they're the two prostitutes he picks up yep. that night right before um, Common Man. These are like superstars. They're, they're like rock stars, kind of, in their attitude. And I think that maybe that's what the audience notices about the show that they, they want to see more of is that everybody on stage individually and collectively we have this rock and roll attitude about it because I do think now this is really I'm just like spewing no please oh my god I could listen to you talk chance. About no I um, love it but I do think like it's interesting why we're left off of, of the Tonys and, and, and I really it's okay you know it's nice to be invited mm-hmm. but also you know we're really proud of our show so we feel good about that and it makes everything okay on both sides but I do think the world's divided into, depending on your mood, two groups of people. You could be in either group depending on the day. But the people who want to get loud and stay up all night maybe go a little too far mm-hmm. to make a point or not, depending on what you want. You know, it's about freedom. And then the people who are saying, shh, be quiet. You're too noisy. The baby's trying to sleep. <laughs> right? Don't use the good dishes. <laughs> now, I've been in both, both groups sometimes at the same time. <laughs> If you have a party and then you don't want anybody to really have fun, like that's probably what you're trying to do is do it both at the same time. But if you if you ha- appreciate that rock and roll attitude of life, which is the most important thing is to feel free to express yourself, then you're going to – I think you're going to really like the show. Yeah. I, I think that, that if you're somebody who is going to get uptight, if you get some – artificial blood splattered on your Louis Vuitton bag, even though it wipes off with water. I got pelted during rehearsal. It went in my eye. It went all over my bag and my dress. The blood? Yes. Oh. And, it, you know, it took me 20 minutes, but it came out. I mean, it's not It's not going to end. It'll be fine. Just wipe it right off. You know? But if you're uptight about that and that makes you cry, first of all, you're, you're like, that's what we're talking about in the show. And you, you might, you know, think that the show is upsetting 
for you. Yeah, yes. And that's fine. That's fine. But this doesn't mean that we're going to stop what we're doing. Exactly. <laughs> and I think that I think what we're talking about is like tone, which I think this mm-hmm. show just like nails so perfectly. And one of the things I noticed the second time I watched it was that it is legitimately scary. There are moments that you feel like you're watching a horror movie. Killing spree, the one that's all in red when they're mm-hmm. doing the, the really cool dances to ba da 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 and these songs that the orchestrations that they they make you think of that reminds me of what song from the eighties is that reminding <laughs> yeah. like Hungry Like the Wolf is like is that what it is, you know? Or is it hmm, is it in the air then we sing in the air tonight. Uh, so beautifully yeah, Killing Spree is, is scary and I think that common man is scary in a way like you're looking at a dead body kind of scary. Mm-hmm. Common Man is the it's it, toward the beginning of the it's kind of near the beginning of well it's in the middle of the first act I guess and this is when Patrick it I think the Common Man represents the chapters in the book that are there are chapters that are all about orgies mm-hmm. and it's very descriptive and it goes on for like twenty pages <laughs> and it's like is this ever going to end and then there's a chapter that's all about cutting up bodies and dissecting people and breaking bones apart and cooking it in the oven. And and that goes on. And you, you look at the two side by side and you realize this is exactly the same tone. What is wrong with this picture? Like mm-hmm. this is, this shouldn't be equally horrifying and, and like secretly titillating in certain right. ways, in equal ways. And that song Common Man, I think it's just so good because – Look, I think that as long as the score tells the story and it moves the story forward, it's it's good. It's got a check in, in my box, you know, yeah. because that's a big enough thing that a lot of people overlook. A lot of musicals overlook that, and I don't think it should ever be overlooked. The music has to move the action forward and it has to keep you engaged. So Common Man, it also takes the book and says, here's some of the book. Mm-hmm. Don't you think that it's, it's hard to watch, isn't it? But, it's, but it never loses its sense of humor. Totally. It's, and it's, it's like... The, you know, the, the figures in the back are not grotesque and mm-hmm. real blood. Right. It's like a, you know, an, an, like a sweet version of it. Well, and also, it's so tongue-in-cheek in the way that, like, he literally goes and, like, presses a button in his wall, and a plastic shield comes down <laughs> to keep the audience from getting the blood on them. I mean, it's just that thing. It's just, it's just perfect. The show is just perfect. It's just perfect. Hey, theater people, Patrick here. I'm going to spend the next 60 seconds telling you about my favorite ticketing app, Today Ticks. Well, you guys, the Tonys have come and gone, and the summer theater season is upon us. Here's something I know from years of doing it. Nobody likes running around the theater district looking for discounted tickets in 90-degree heat. So guess what? Today Ticks is your solution to that problem. As you know, Today Ticks is the app for last-minute theater tickets. Download the app in Google Play or the App Store, find yourself an air-conditioned happy hour, or you know, a coffee shop, and scroll through the discounts, theater people. I'm looking at the app right now, and almost all of the Tony-winning shows are listed at a discounted price, some that I love as low as $39. And when you use the code THEATERPEOPLE at checkout, you save 20 bucks on your first purchase. That code, of course, is theater with an E-R-P-P-L. I've said this before, and I completely mean it. If you get to the checkout screen and you can't remember the code, text, email, tweet, call, or Facebook me. I will be there waiting. That discount code again is, say it with me, theater people, theater with an E-R-P-P-L. 
One more thing, theater people. Now is a great time to pause this episode and head over to our website to get your tickets for our live summer series show with Eden Espinosa. The tickets are just $10. Eden and I will chat for a little bit, and then she'll knock your socks off with her ridiculous belt when she performs a song or two from her incredible career. These shows are so much fun, and we hope to see you all there. Get your tickets at www.theaterpeople.com. That's theater with an E-R-P-P-L.com. Okay, now back to the show. You know, I, I, I'm so glad that you enjoy it because I really love doing it, and I, I love getting to know Patrick. Mm-hmm. At the end when I play Mrs. Wolf, the real estate agent, who to me is like a Mrs. Danvers from Rebecca. Mm-hmm. She just kind of like, like she knows all the answers, but she's not, she's going to manipulate you to make her, the answers work for her uh-huh. kind of thing. I, there's like this kind of uh, ominous tone to that scene and to fit it all in together. It was kind of tricky, but it turns on, on the, the idea that the, 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 the creative team has made, made it obvious that this is a concept it's up to you to decide. Yes. Because when Patrick is out there in his underwear and he's in Barney's fighting with Lewis and Lewis doesn't go, what the fuck are you doing in your underwear, Patrick? <laughs> right. Why are they all bloody? He de- Excuse me, pardon my friends. No, it's fine. That's what Lewis would say, you know. Um, he doesn't say that. And then he has a scene with Jennifer and, you know, and then you realize, wait, this is conceptual. Like if the audience totally. hasn't already figured that out, mm-hmm. we make it, they, they made it very helpful and the audience oh my god it's conceptual Mm -hmm. so I decided when I saw Benjamin in his underwear during tech I was like I held my breath because I was so excited I was like oh my god are they going to keep him like that please 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 don't make him put his clothes on because at that point somebody will go it's too much like we don't want to do that to the audience it's too risky or it's not Broadway or whatever Mm mm-hmm you know what I mean? Yeah, I totally know what you mean. Downtown or yeah. whatever. I'm not saying anybody said that. Yeah. I was just afraid that was going to happen, and it never happened. Like, it, they just kept it that way, and I thought, this is so great. It helps the audience so much, and it helped me understand that what I think is Patrick didn't kill anybody yet. I totally agree with you. Blood is like, it's symbolic of how it, you, we decimate our self-esteem and we give our power away, you know, as much as you can do that and we how self-loathing keeps you from growing and you know materialism distracts you until the day's over and you start over again with your with your honey almond body wash (laughs) to distract you do you know what i mean yeah and i think that we're all patrick's right right And, and i think too one of the other things that is so effective is that sometimes you can't tell if what he's saying he's really saying because you can't tell if it's just that the people around him don't listen to him or he's just thinking it and not actually saying it yeah i i like to I like to think that he says some of them out loud and people just don't hear him and mm-hmm. some of them he thinks because it makes it more heartbreaking when he says the truth to people and they don't even hear him. Like, mm-hmm. I, I just want to... At the end, I just want to hug Patrick in that scene in the apartment mm-hmm. where he's confused. He's got a tear running down his face. Of course, this is downstage cheek. <laughs> Benjamin is such a good actor. It's like one tear. And I, he looks like a confused... You know, like, he's got Alzheimer's. Like, he doesn't know what, what ends up. And I think that... But at that point, uh, Mrs. Mrs. Wolf says, um, "Don't do anything. Just, just, just do what everybody else does and suck it up, and don't think so much, and go on and and try to find joy, okay? Just I try love it. to find joy, and and he does. And you got to hand it to him because at the end he tries. He, although there's that sequel that's planted because he looks at Jean as the curtain as the curtain comes down, and you're thinking." He's marrying Evelyn, but he's still thinking of Jean. Mm-hmm. He's still in love with her. What's going to happen? 
Oh, I love this show so much. Um, I know I don't have that much time with you. Is it okay if I ask you about some other stuff? Sure, yeah. So we need to talk about Tommy because it's my favorite, favorite, favorite show. It at once made me gay and a theater lover. It's the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, And you were in the original Broadway cast. Yeah, I remember Frank Rich gave us a good review. He said that it it was like watching um, watching the ensemble was like watching pinballs come out of a, you know, when you pull back the yeah. pull back the handle and let it go, and the spring sends the pinballs flying everywhere. Yeah. That was Wayne Salento. He won the Tony for <sighs> choreography, and um, we owe so much. We owed so much to Wayne, and we still do. The ensemble, we we all kind of. It was this really amazingly talented ensemble of people yeah. that became. Norm Lewis she and was like Sherry Scott, yeah, who like had her own show on Broadway. Oh, I mean, it's like my favorite. What's like my second favorite show of all Norm time? Norm Lewis, who you know, you can't walk down the street with Norm without everybody like trying to yeah. trying to bite him because he's like a human chocolate bar. Yeah, <laughs> he is. He did our show and he stayed after for like forty five minutes just to hang out with us. And both my producer and I were like, "Can we just can we just touch your arm?" It's like you don't. We're not. It, he's always wearing like these sumptuous fabrics, like yeah. like velvet corduroy you know and just like suede bag one one of the things I wanted to ask you about that experience that I was about your career that I've always been so fascinated by was that you sort of famously like went on a lot for Mrs. Walker and I love an understudy and I love an understudy story and I, I was wondering if you would talk about that a little bit I understudied Marsha Mitzman when we were at La Jolla in the experimental phase of Tommy before it decided that they decided it was coming to Broadway and then I understudied her on Broadway too and both times I went on I guess most significantly the first time I went on for her in La Jolla I had no rehearsal because, right. and I was also in the ensemble it's not like I was a swing or a standby that was standing backstage watching so I never got to watch what she did but it was really exciting the first time and it was really fun to play Mrs. Walker I felt like I was getting away with something because <laughs> I was too young to play Michael Service's mom yeah. Um, But I think I could play her now, probably. Yeah, well, my God. And do you know, I think that is one of the greatest musical theater roles for a woman. I mean, the music that that you get to sing in that role is just incredible. Do you think it's all right to leave the boy with Uncle Ernie? You're literally going to kill me. Uh, Marsha was amazing. She was perfect, Mrs. Walker. She got a Tony nomination, which shows you how great her performance really was because... She wasn't really ever there, and she still got nominated, <laughs> you know, yeah. because she really was. She was wonderful. But it was a great opportunity for me because I just moved to the city, and everybody got to see me go on and kind of save the day, which became one of my things that I do. <laughs> and um, that show taught me how to do eight shows a week and how not to oversing and, you know, pace yourself mm-hmm. um, and how to have – Nine different wigs, <laughs> how to do pin curls, <laughs> and I, I just loved, I loved the score, mm-hmm. and it was really cool to work with Pete Townsend because yeah. he was he he made himself a part of the process there during rehearsal, and um, yeah, it I was the first one to leave that show. I, I left. Oh like, right, to do Les Mis gossip. I um, I wanted to go on and and because Marsha put her notice in. And I, you know, I was like, I hope that they cast me, they, they moved me into the role. And they decided, they, I won't name any names, but <laughs> they decided not to do that. And I was, you know, feeling kind of like, well, I'll show them. And then I was offered Fontaine yes. on the road. And then I went on to play her at the Imperial. 
And I actually left a Broadway show to go on the road. Spontine <laughs> in the third company of Les Mis. Mostly because I've always, I always wanted to do Les Mis, and Fontaine's my favorite track. That's my favorite show that I've God. ever done or seen. I just can't help it. The score is wow. incredible. You would say, even now, it's still your favorite show you ever did. It's hard to only say one, but I have to say... It's, I could listen to that score every day. I would never get sick of hearing yeah. it. I would never turn down the PA. Ugh. Well, the next show we have to jump to, of course, is Sideshow. How, how did that show happen, and how did you come to be a part of it? It was a workshop that had been happening for a couple of years, I think. And um, workshop meaning, you know, there's a stack of music they give you, and you sit around a table with people that are paying you and, and creating it, and you come up with as much as you can to give them ideas of where it might go from there, if they want to keep you on for the next workshop. And so Emily Skinner had become the daisy, and they kept recasting. They, you know, they kept getting a new violet every time. And then they, then they fought, found me. They brought me in, and they put me next to Emily for this workshop that was going to be an old-fashioned workshop on stage at the Brooks Atkinson with like wow. they gave us costumes and you know we had a big audience it was like that old fashioned wow. kind of chorus line workshop I guess <laughs> yeah and um, well it took us another year to come to Broadway but there was something magical that happened when Emily and I began when we just stood next to each other and and when we sang and everybody knew that and right away in the rehearsal room they offered it, they offered the part to me wow and then I just stayed in the part I, I we, nobody was replaced when we moved on we just stayed there for the Broadway show Something, you know, there's something that's big. You know, when you get that feeling that's something bigger than you, mm-hmm. where you, as long as you allow it and you get out of the way of getting in its way, it'll serve you. And that's how it's always been with, with Emily. And those roles were kind of meant to be for us, for sure. Did you guys know each other? But you guys are such a pair. It seems like you guys were like in the womb together. Is it? Did you know each other before? We make a beautiful pair. <laughs> um, no. And and she's, Emily's um, a few years younger than me. I think she's six years younger than me, which isn't significant for any other reason except, you know, we played twins. And p- while I was playing her twin, people would call me Emily and they would call her Alice. They'd got us mixed up. The Times actually captioned a picture incorrectly. I don't mean to wow. point the finger, but I'm pointing the finger. <laughs> I'm sure they had a good reason why they did that. Um, and then, that's funny, then when I played um, Diana next to normal, everybody thought I was crazy, and then I you know, was throwing silverware across the room. But I'm just telling you people, I'm an actress by trade. Well, I was just given the two-minute warning, so we have to at least touch on next to normal. How, looking back on that experience now, Tony Award winner Alice Ripley, how, what, do you have any, like, any takeaway from that? 
Do you, what a stupid question. Like, what would you say is, like, your biggest takeaway from that? From the Tonys? No, from, like, your experience in that role. I mean, I know in two minutes it's an impossible oh. question to answer. You know, um, it's – Next to Normal still has a life, and, and um, the latest incarnation of it that I did was, was a concert in Buenos Aires with the Spanish cast. Wow. Casse Normales. And that was an eye-opener because – it feels like Next to Normal is just about to find its true peak. It hasn't peaked yet. Yeah. Because there was something about singing with half the cast being Spanish, singing in Spanish to Spanish-speaking people that were just over-the-top excited about the material that got me so excited because I thought if we could do a production of Next to Normal, whether it's a concert, a televised show, or another revival with a little Spanish, a little English, and a little Chinese in it... Ah. Everybody has something that they can take away from it because the show has a universal impact. And I do want to see it as a televised broadcast, like what they've been doing with these old-fashioned musicals. Yeah. I want to see them do that with Next to Normal because people need to see the story. And that's really the takeaway. I mean, there's so many things I could tell you about my experience from Next to Normal. And um, I'm grateful for it all. And I'm grateful to have slept for a couple of years after the show closed, <laughs> after I left the show, the tour closed. I was like, I think I'll take a nap now for a long time. So it takes a lot out of you. But I'm ready. I think I hope that my relationship with the show is going to continue in some way, even if it's just what I, what I described before, singing a concert version of the show is different than doing the mm-hmm. actual character track. It's easy in certain, it's easier in certain ways. You don't have to um, play the the emotional side as much. It's more about singing, just singing the music. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Playing yeah. a character, it's, it kind of takes over. But um, yeah, I'm I'm really proud of my work with that because last night I was getting off the train and I thought I'd already left like Times Square behind. I didn't think there were any fans anywhere who had just seen the show because when you come out of the stage door, they're right there. Yeah. And as I was leaving, this lady that wasn't even near me, she said, you were great in Next to Normal. And she looked me right in the eye and smiled. And I thought, wow. Oh, wow. It's pretty far-reaching, right? Yeah, yeah. Maybe I should start taking a car service. (laughs) (laughs) Alice Ripley, I can't believe I just got... Like, three different times during this conversation, I was like, oh, my God, that's Alice Ripley. Oh, my God, that's Alice. She's right there. Um, Thank you for doing this. I will never leave you. I will never go away. We were meant to share each moment with theater people. That's where I'll stay. There you go. There oh you go. my god! That okay? Well, my life. Okay, we're shutting the podcast down. It's over now, you guys. This thing is caught on fire. Yeah. <laughs> the microphone just is like exploding. Right In my hand. <laughs> Alice Ripley, you are a dream. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for doing You're this. You're so welcome, Patrick. Thanks for your excitement and enthusiasm about what we do. My we'll pleasure. For you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Hey, theater people. Just a reminder to head to our website and get your $10 tickets to our live summer series show with Eden Espinosa. Our website is www.theaterpeople.com. That's theater with an E-R-P-P-L.com. Today's episode was produced by Mike Jensen and me, Patrick Hines. Mike edited this episode. Special thanks to our sponsor, Today Ticks. Download the app in Google Play or the App Store and use the code THEATERPEOPLE at checkout to save 20 bucks on your first purchase. That code, of course, is theater with an E-R-P-P-L. Special thanks to Steve Tipton, Bradley Behan, Diana Bush of Diana Bush Photography, Eric Emsch, our webmaster Keith Allen Herzog, Ellen Marsh, and the staff at Oswald's. 
We'll be back next Monday with Betsy Wolf. Until then, tell your friends about us. Let's get the theater community talking. Bye.